Welcome to this edition of Development Matters, the London International Development Centre podcast series. I'm Anjuli Bourgogne, Communications Officer at the LIDC. This podcast series considers interdisciplinary approaches to current development issues, and today we will be discussing antibiotic resistance. The World Health Organization has described antibiotic resistance as one of the biggest threats to global health and food security, with many experts describing the rise in drug resistance as an antibiotic apocalypse that could be a bigger threat to humanity than cancer. It is estimated that at least 700,000 people die globally each year from superbug infections that are resistant to antimicrobials, and this is predicted to rise to 10 million by 2050. Antibiotic resistance is a complex global problem that urgently needs to be addressed, and in this episode we will explore just what exactly we mean by antibiotic resistance the use of antibiotics in global food production, the potentially devastating effects not addressing antibiotic resistance could have on the global population, and finally, we will look at potential solutions to this growing and frightening problem. In the studio with me today, I have Dr Claire Chandler, who is Associate Professor in Medical Anthropology at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and Co-Director of the school's Antimicrobial Resistance Centre and Dr Lucy Brunton, lecturer in molecular epidemiology at the Royal Veterinary College, researching antimicrobial resistance and antimicrobial usage in livestock. Claire, Lucy, welcome and thank you for joining me today. So to start, the phrases antibiotic resistance, AMR and antimicrobial resistance are all over the media at the moment. Just last month we saw Public Health England launch a new campaign to tackle antibiotic resistance urging people to stop taking unnecessary antibiotics. And earlier this month, it was World Antibiotic Awareness Week. But what exactly do these phrases mean? And why is this now such an issue? So when we say antimicrobial resistance, uh, we mean that microbes, which includes bacteria, viruses, fungi, parasites, we mean that they have or they've developed ways of resisting the drugs that we use against them. So drugs are no longer uh, effective at clearing infection. Antibiotics are what we use to treat bacterial infections, so antibiotic resistance relates specifically to bacteria. Um, But drug resistance isn't a new thing, it's it's always been around and it's a natural part of the evolution of pathogens. So it's a bit like survival of the fittest, if you like. Those that are resistant to a drug will survive, whereas those that aren't, when they come into contact with it, will die. Um, The reason it's becoming such a problem now is because we're using antibiotics so much that we're sort of forcing and and speeding up that selection of those resistant bugs. Antibiotic resistance is um, something that we've been aware of ever since the generation of um, antimicrobials. So um, in, in England, we're very proud of Alexander Fleming, who was the person who had found penicillin. Um, And he himself said when he was collecting his uh, Nobel Prize that we have to be very careful about the potential for resistance to emerge. And since that point, we saw only a few years later the emergence of resistance in hospital wards, and that was really nicely documented. Um, And then we've had a number of rounds of efforts to try to um, think about how to curb resistance, i.e. how we work better with Um, antimicrobials? How can we use these medicines in a way that will preserve their efficacy in the long run? Um, So the World Health Organization, for example, has had numerous rounds of um, strategies and efforts to try to um, bring people together to address this issue. Um, But it's only recently that we've seen a real um, 
a real coming together across not only the World Health Organization, but together with other international agencies and uh, momentum around this issue across different countries. Um, and I would say the reason for this is because we are now not only describing this as a health issue, but it has now also been put in economic terms. So there was a report that was published last year which really... Um, sort of put forward, not only would we be having um, this enormous numbers of deaths by uh, 2050, but we risked um, huge damage to global economies. So that really helped to put the issue on the map. And then in together with that, it has now also been described as a global health security issue. And so in 2016, we saw this issue being raised at the UN General Assembly. It's only the fourth time that a health issue has been raised in the UN in that way, um, because it was seen as such a threat that um, that it actually threatened the security of our um, our global system as we know it. The veterinary sector in, in developed countries has been trying to deal with this issue for some time. Um, in the UK, for example, we've got a number of initiatives. Um, the British Veterinary Association, for example, has their seven-point plan for responsible use of antimicrobials in veterinary practice. And there's also uh, groups such as Rumour, which is the Responsible Use of Medicines in Agriculture Alliance, um, and they promote high standards of food safety and animal health and animal welfare, and ultimately responsible use of medicines. So, Claire, we keep hearing uh, an apocalyptic narrative around antimicrobial resistance, with the media describing a post-antibiotic era. Uh, I think we often hear horror stories of how our lives could be affected, with something as, a, as simple as a grazed knee causing you know, life-threatening issues and causing us to revert back to a pre-antibiotic era. Is this actually the case? And what would actually happen if we don't address the global antibiotic resistance? This is a great question, um, and it's it's really interesting to see how um, we have been mobilising this issue um, using these kind of framings of um, of apocalypse, because it really kind of generates an interest in uh, amongst numerous uh, different groups as to what might happen, um, and I think. You know, there are really serious risks of antimicrobial resistance. What essentially means is that if you have an infection and you go into um, hospital and you have an antibiotic, that antibiotic might not work. So you might be given another antibiotic and then that antibiotic might not work and you might end up getting into a position where you have exhausted all the options of antibiotics and then you might have an infection that could ultimately be life-threatening. And that does happen um, around the world at the moment, particularly, for example, in neonatal sepsis. Um, we often see around the world um, small babies who um, contract infections that are resistant to multiple lines of treatment and in some places where access to um, later lines of treatment is poor, they, they don't survive. And so this is why it's, you know, on a health term, a really, really important issue. Um, but we can't predict the future. We don't know uh, how, uh, how many deaths would occur. We don't know that uh, grazing your knee is necessarily going to mean that you could uh, have a drug-resistant infection that kills you. In some cases, it would. And I think the, um, the granularity of this issue is that in some uh, in some 
vulnerable groups, whether that's because you have a lower immune system uh, or because you're in a place or in a situation where antibiotics have been uh, used to replace um, other measures to control infection, then you become at a higher risk that this could be damaging to you. Um, so what we've been looking at is, you know, in different countries around the world, what are the risks and what are the ways that we can mediate those risks such that we can protect uh, our populations from the potential catastrophe of drug-resistant infection. Thank you. So Lucy, I'd like to ask you about the One Health approach to global health security. What exactly do we mean by One Health and why do we need a One Health approach to antibiotic or antimicrobial resistance? So One Health is the concept that human health, animal health and, and the environment are all connected um, and it's really developed into a movement. Um, when we say we use One Health approaches to health problems, that we, we, we're talking about combining the efforts of multiple disciplines. So, for example, human and veterinary medicine, ecology, sociology, epidemiology, economics, to name a few. It's about bringing all of those disciplines together to work to tackle the, the problem. Um, and antibiotic resistance is such a complex issue. So there's many different drivers of antibiotic resistance and they're working at many different levels. So we really need a multidisciplinary One Health approach to try and tackle the issue. Thank you. And sort of following on from that and thinking about antibiotic use uh, in livestock, why is it necessary to use antibiotics in food production? And would a simple solution not be to go vegetarian and stop ingesting these antibiotics? So um, antibiotic use um, is imp an important part of food production and there are two elements to this really. Uh, firstly, we use antibiotics to treat sick animals um, and we need to ensure that we can continue to do that effectively. Um, on the other hand, there are some countries which use antibiotics in food production to improve growth, growth rates of production animals. Um, so this is where antibiotics are included in animal feed um, and that improves the growth rate of, of the animals. So the EU banned the use of antibiotics as growth promoters in livestock in 2006, but there are many countries, particularly those with less sophisticated um, livestock production systems, that still rely on antibiotics to maintain their production levels. So food animal production um, is needed to provide sufficient protein to feed the growing world. and um, I mean, I'm not a food security expert, but I don't think that there is a viable alternative protein source at the moment that could continue to meet this requirement. So I think there's always going to be a demand for meat. Um, and the issue isn't always about ingesting um, antibiotics through meat. So um, export and import controls have generally tight regulations on, on the presence of residues in meat. Um, often the issue is about the antibiotics that are used in 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 agriculture, in farming, um, how they um, spread into environmental reservoirs, for example, you know, manure from farms where antibiotics are being used, being washed into water systems and, and how that disseminates in the environment. And we know very little about that at the moment. Thank you. So, Claire, it sounds like the issue of antibiotic resistance really has no global boundaries. But how is a rise in antibiotic resistance specifically affecting those living in low and middle income countries? And why is it important to focus on antibiotic usage in these countries, again, specifically? 
I think what's really interesting um, about this topic of um, antimicrobial resistance is that we have focused down on how people are using antibiotics in a way that we just hadn't been thinking about before. And I think it's one of those things, you know, with the One Health perspective, that we are suddenly seeing antibiotics in places that we just hadn't been looking because we took it for granted that we could um, use antibiotics in all these different ways or that we could eat meat and we didn't think that about antibiotics being present in meat or we thought, you know, we can um, eat eat crops that may actually be grown with antibiotics as well. And we um, see in many places around the world that people's lives and livelihoods depend on using antibiotics to, um, to either grow their animals or grow their crops um, and equally to grow their children because in many places around the world people, the infrastructure is so poor um, that people end up having to insulate themselves from infection through kind of a cloak of antibiotics and so really I think it's a reflection of the way that we live our lives now as to the way that antibiotics is intertwined um, in in our lifestyles and one of the things that we've been looking at in some of the research I'm doing is to try and see the extent to which antibiotics play these roles of being crucial cornerstones of our lives that we just hitherto have taken for granted and haven't really noticed and therefore the risk that antimicrobial resistance poses um, if those antibiotics are no longer useful um, and also the risk if we suddenly say well let's just ban their use altogether what that's going to do to people's lives and their livelihoods. So an example is you've got a farmer or a vet helping a farmer in a rural area of Nigeria and the, the vet is saying to us, well, what am I supposed to do if I've got um, a farmer presenting with um, some chickens who need an antibiotic treatment? And ideally, we'd have what we call a withdrawal period, and we would suggest that they shouldn't um, sell those eggs for 24, 48, 72 hours or so. And he's saying to us, well, look, if I, if I, um, if I tell them that they can't you know, sell those eggs, what are they going to do? This is essentially kind of a biohazard because these eggs contain residues of antibiotics. Am I going to tell them to throw those away? We don't have anywhere to throw them. We don't have a system for that. Am I going to tell them to give them away? Well, that's going to ruin their livelihood. So essentially, we end up just having to turn a blind eye because we don't have the systems in place to cope with what we are now becoming a lot more cognizant of, which is the fact that these antibiotics are being used so much and and yet that they are so needed. So it's a really entangled and complex problem. And I think this is why, as Lucy was saying, we need this sort of One Health collective interdisciplinary approach to tackle it because there are so many, it's like the domino effect, there are so many knock-on consequences of the way that we might tackle the issue. So we really have to do a lot of work around um, predicting what might happen and anticipating unintended consequences um, and trying out different types of interventions before making blanket recommendations that might be um, used across the world. It's a really nice example um, and would add to that that in that case you know the at least the farmer had some veterinary advice there and we know that that's often not the case. Um, a lot of farmers don't have access to veterinary advice but are accessing antibiotics and quite often they don't know what it is they're using or how they should be using it and so there's just so much 
so much gap there in our knowledge about what's actually being used out there. And we really need to better understand that. So thinking about what is currently being done globally to combat antibiotic resistance and this idea of access to antibiotics, why don't we simply just produce new or more antibiotics or better regulate those in circulation, so reduce access? Um, well, so in terms of what's being done, um, so Claire's already described the, the growing um, focus on this. Um, so a, the World Health Organization has their global action plan on antimicrobial resistance um, and all member states have been urged to develop their own national action plans and implement them by 2017. Um, on the animal health side, we've got the OIE, which is the World Organization for Animal Health, and they also have a strategy on antimicrobial resistance. Um, and there's been increased funding of this sort of multidisciplinary research that we've been talking about. Um, and it's this, there's been more of this funding in recent years. And, and this is really fundamentally important to try and tackle this sort of complex issue with a One Health approach, bringing all the disciplines together. In terms of producing new antibiotics, um, well, this is a, a slow and expensive process and there's not really a financial incentive for the pharmaceutical companies to invest in, in this. In addition, as Claire said at the start, we know that antibiotic resistance can emerge very quickly. So by just producing more antibi antibiotics, we're essentially just delaying the problem. So I think regulation can be important here, um, but it's more about using our, so using our antibiotics in a more prudent way, preserving the ones that we do have. Um, and ultimately, it's important to educate people about responsible usage. So looking ahead, what does the future hold? Uh, I know you've mentioned before it's impossible to predict, but if things continue the way they are at the moment, and what do we need to do to address this problem? I know we've mentioned um, some of the action plans that are already happening, but is there anything further we could be doing? And is the answer better surveillance, say, rather than the regulation of antibiotic use? And finally, just to think about the public health campaign that I mentioned earlier, which is urging individuals to use less antibiotics or use them more wisely. Can individuals choosing to take less antibiotics really have an impact? Thanks. So that's a great set of questions. Um, I think looking ahead, we do need to reduce our reliance on antibiotics. One of the interesting things about when we describe antibiotic resistance as a One Health problem is and as we start to look at how it affects economics and global security, what um, can be observed is this increasing recognition of connection, that we're all connected, we're connected with the microbes in our bodies and our microbes are moving and, you know, the, the traditional approaches to seeing humans as bounded individuals is really being challenged, I think. And there's a lot more discussion about connectedness, connectedness across the globe, connectedness between people, connectedness with our pets. And yet, what we can also observe is that the way that we're trying to tackle this is through a traditional approach of individual responsibility. And what I would really like to see is us talking about strategies that can address those, connect, those issues of connectedness. So I'll give an example. Um, what this might require in terms of our reliance on antibiotics is actually a change in society, which is not just saying you as an individual should be changing your use of antibiotics, but we as a collective need to change our expectations from populations. Um, for example, 
we often see populations, whether that's of animals or of us humans, as productive units. And when you look at the economics around um, the, the trajectory of um, the impact of AMR on the economy, a lot of those figures come from problems that will be associated with the productive units of humans, so whether we can be as productive as we were. And in similarly, with animals, if you see them as productive units, um, animal production is reliant on antibiotics. So the challenge then would be to say, is there a way that we can reconceptualise the way that we do life as a collective that is not so reliant on the idea of productivity? And so some of the observations that we've been making in our anthropological work is around um, the tempo of life, the need to do things fast, the need to get things now, the need to have the biggest and the best products, and the need to be productive. And what antimicrobial resistance can be making us think about is, can we reconfigure the way that we do life so that we are have less of that emphasis and that we do care in a different way? We care for ourselves and we care for each other in a way that is less reliant on a magic bullet like antibiotics. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think one thing we can do, particularly in agriculture, is look at alternatives to antibiotic use. Um, Prevention is better than the cure, ultimately. And in, in livestock production, if we can improve production processes and hygiene standards and ultimately improve the overall health of animals, then we can reduce our reliance on antibiotics. That's an interesting point to end on. Thank you. So thank you for listening to the Development Matters podcast. I think we'll end it there. And a big thank you to Claire and Lucy for sharing their thoughts and insights with us today. If you want to know more and listen to previous podcasts in the series, please visit the LIDC website at www.lidc.org.uk.